0: Welcome back to the Energetics of Everything, your favorite place to learn about all things wealth, health, and personal development from an energetic perspective. If you are someone who is in pursuit of both being the best version of yourself and creating a wildly impactful life, then this is the place for you. Throughout this podcast, you will learn how to use my hindsight as your foresight, as you identify your purpose, optimize your behavior patterns, and create a ripple effect of positive change that your soul knows you're capable of. My name is Eden Carpenter, and I am so excited to be a part of your personal growth today. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Energetics of Everything podcast. I am here with Rich, and I'm so excited to be starting off a series of conversations around neurodivergency, the nervous system, and human design. We'll kind of just explore the energetics of all of this and see if we can make some sense of all of these things that we're experiencing and we're labeling with neurodivergency. We're seeing possible connections to human design, and we're just going to explore this conversation and see where goes. But Rich, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to have you with us today.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. And it feels special to be doing this at the start of the year and the start of a new chapter for you and for me as well. So thank you.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited to be here with you. So, just to introduce my audience to you and a little bit of the work that you do can you just explain how did you get into this work whatever feels relevant to bring up just orient our audience who who's having this conversation today
1: yeah thank you I try to keep it as concise as possible educated in the uk system which was very much keep calm carry on And then one day when you're retired you can go and be happy and live your life and that for me was something that i couldn't keep down this path which led me into finance which was encouraged by my friends and my family and by my parents and was really seen as this safe and secure option of climbing the corporate ladder i quickly got depressed very unhappy and then had an incident crashing into the back of a london bus on my bicycle That was a bit of a wake-up call into like, wow, life can be gone in the flash of an eye. So what are you really doing with your life? And I then went and started an educational tool for children to help them about emotional intelligence, helping another founder to do that. And we were pre-funding, pre-revenue, and so that had the challenges that came with it. And I was still afraid. I was still in this space of wanting my parents' validation, wanting financial stability, and I didn't have this... Security in my own being to be able to stay in that role. So I shifted into accountancy, which I was there for a few years, still utterly miserable, still facing anxiety, not really knowing what to do about it. And yet, on the surface of things, I was very much intellectualizing my challenges. I was like, yeah, I know all about personal development. I understand anxiety. Like other people have got all these issues. Like I'm good. I'm fine. I just need to keep going, keep calm and carry on, as the saying goes. And so I did that. I kept going. I kept pushing. I kept working. And then eventually I qualified as an accountant and I left that and started a business with a couple of friends of mine in the ski industry. And that was an amazing journey, traveling around the world, visiting different ski resorts, launching a business called Goggle Sock, which is a protective cover for ski goggles into the ski industry, creating a new space and it was a startup. And so startup challenges came with it. And mm-hmm. I hadn't dealt with my emotional baggage that I was carrying through. And this anxiety piled and piled and piled and piled until the point I reached burnout. And mm-hmm. I guess all going down into the whole explanation of burnout, I'll just finish the story just to kind of set the scene. I then found Breathwork as one of the best tools to help me to move through the anxiety. I tried a lot of things. I tried therapy. I tried mindfulness. I tried meditation. I tried yoga and nature walking. And all of these things were kind of surface level and didn't really address the problems beneath the surface. And I know there's many different tools and modalities out there. And I just hadn't found the one that clicked until I found breath work. Then I did Manifestation Babes MBA in 2022. And it was at the same time as when I left that company as an employee and became just a director and shareholder. And I wanted to move straight into coaching. I was like, coaching is my thing. I love listening to people. I've got a genuine curiosity and interest and desire to help people. And being with people on the call, being like, yeah, let's help you be healthy and be happy. And internally, I was like, I'm still stressed. I'm still my hands on the on the table and I just kept going like that until eventually I was like okay enough is enough my burnout was two years ago but I'm still anxious I need to really go and do something about this and that was when I did the MBA and I did more breath work in a more frequent manner and that sent me on this journey into breath work. In October last year we moved to Bali for nine months and in Bali this was where I did my breathwork training with breathwork Bali, who are very focused and grounded in science and the nervous system. And I did a 400 hour training in their facilitated breath repatterning course, which was really well rooted in, as I said, understanding the body, understanding the nervous system, and then applying this very ancient tool of breathwork So blended all of these different aspects together to create what I thought was the most powerful healing modality out there that didn't involve plant medicines. It didn't Mm -hmm. involve previous sessions and years of actually having to go through talk therapy to uncover things. It really got to the root of a lot of challenges, which is based in nervous system, which is based in your beliefs and your preconceptions about the way things are, the way things should be. And so that was earlier this year, and now I'm building an in-person practice in Squamish. I'm based on the west coast of Canada, about 45 minutes north of Vancouver, and building an in-person practice in this little part of the world where I really want to work with high achievers who are struggling with stress and anxiety who have tried all the things and haven't had the results and now actually want to go and do something about it to get into flow and performance. That's what I think we're all really striving for is how do I create more? How do I receive more? And how do I retain my inner sovereignty and my health and my well-being instead of sacrificing it with go, 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 hustle culture that's kind of revered in our startup world so it's really bringing these aspects together of my journey of this tool and the nervous system to try to help other entrepreneurs and business managers and owners in their own journeys to really build and create the life of their dreams that is possible for them
0: oh i love this so much i'm just looking at your chart as you're telling this story and i'm seeing (laughs) the things like the pieces come together so i'll just throw some chart reading things that I'm noticing. This is what I'm noticing. This is what came up for me. It makes so much sense that you were involved in a lot of startups because you have a really defined root center. You've got three channels defined in that area. And that's a channel of ambition and growth and stress. It's very much related to stress. And I've noticed that people with highly defined root centers actually tend to burn themselves out more so than people with an undefined root center because it's internalized pressure. So it's not when I'm at work, I feel the stress, I go away and I don't feel that stress with the undefined center. It's looking Mm -hmm. to the outside world. It sources that stress and that pressure from externally, but you source it internally. So you had all this drive, you had all of this ambition, all of this focus come up for you and you wanted to direct it towards something. And the shadow side of that, especially because you were saying that you were intellectualizing your emotions, you're thinking about it in your undefined head center and undefined Ajna, but you're not in your defined emotional center. And when it's defined, we have to find the root of the problem before we can clear it. Like we don't have clarity unless we're actually really taking responsibility for our own emotions. And so you notice that when you were ignoring the emotions, you were trying to over-intellectualize it, you were just pushing all of your energy, all of that big creative energy that you have towards the project and because you weren't riding that emotional wave it was just going in directions instead of going in a really clean and aligned direction and then breath work as a two four the four line body this is a gene keys thing but the four line body really integrates with breath and the rhythm of breathing is supposed to be connected to the fourth line body and when we're going through like that genius sequence that's really where we're Anchoring in the unconscious mind and creating core stability in the body. And so I love that you found breath work because the one force and the two force specifically do really well with breath work because it gets them out of their head and it gets them into the unconscious part of their design. And so for you, like you found breath work immediately, and your energy just led you to, like, hey, this is something that's going to help me to regulate. It's going to help me to clear these emotions that I'm feeling. It's going to help me to move my energy. It's going to help center me. And then I'll get out of my head and get back into my body and be able to take action. And now that you're in a space where you do have the sacral satisfaction, you have clear emotions because you've been doing all of this work, you have high frequency energy that wants to go somewhere and energy is always in motion so when it's defined it still has to go out there i see it almost like a spool of thread for each of the defined centers it just comes from somewhere and it fills up the spool and we just have all of this thread that we have to do something with this energy that's ready to go out into the world and especially when it's at a higher frequency like when you're really in alignment it's wanting to go out there and impact people in a positive way. I just loved hearing that story and noticing specifically the little parts where you were aligning with your design. I love piecing that together. (laughs) That's so Mm, fun. Yeah,
1: thank you for sharing that. That's beautiful to really see it. And this is where I was also drawn to human design because I was like, holy shit, this is just a picture and explanation of who I am and where I've been and so what can that mean about where I'm going.
0: And Mm -hmm. so it's also
1: amazing to see how those threads are really woven within that design there. And I definitely reflect again and again into this aspect. And dissatisfaction is the shadow of my gate 58. And 58 comes up three times in my gene keys. And so it's really prominent in my life of this dissatisfaction stress these things kind of coming together of like oh I want to move but I don't know how to move and I'm kind of in inertia and then my open head is like yeah but this is a good idea that's a good idea that's a good idea and I really need to ground into Mm -hmm. the experience of it and ground into my body and my nervous system and so that's why it's great to have the scientific experience and breath work kind of bridging this gap between this very difficult to hold on to in some respects world of the internal to then create this interception, this better understanding of what's going on inside to then help make these decisions moving forwards.
0: Yeah, but, yeah. I love that you have 58 as you're conscious on. That's my culture. It's my sphere of culture. So it's one that I work with a lot. We also share the, the 1858 channel and mm. I've noticed that that shadow I will just sidetrack and get onto gate 58 for a second because it <laughs> sounds like fun. I've been working wow. with that one a lot lately because it has the shadow of dissatisfaction, but it's the only gate in the gene keys that doesn't have a repressive energy. And it's because it's the gate of vitality. It's the gate of life force and you can't repress life force. And so this shadow only has a reactive side. It only has that shadow of when it's feeling that dissatisfaction, it wants to interfere. And so something that I've been playing with is the same sensation can be labeled as the shadow or the gift. Because as we know from the gene keys, when you're experiencing the shadow, that's your moment to use that gift. So when I feel the sensations of dissatisfaction, that's the sensation of I'm looking around at my world and it's not exactly what I want it to be. And with the 1858 channel, you and I have this skill where we see exactly what needs to be improved. And so we look out at our world and we're like, okay, that needs new paint, that needs to be cleaned, that could be tidied up, that could be reorganized. We see everything that could be perfected. And the shadow of dissatisfaction is rooted in the illusion that we can do anything now to change how we feel in the future and it's in in the illusion that there's a future at all because all we have is the present moment and so when we're dealing with that shadow when i feel that sensation of oh i'm dissatisfied i want things to be better i actually get excited because that sensation the same sensation can be labeled as oh wow change is about to happen my body is telling me that it has the energy to create change and it's showing me exactly what's about to evolve so it says like that cabinet's really messy oh that's a great opportunity for me to improve and perfect my home in my life i can reorganize that cabinet it'll be perfect it'll be much more organized i will feel better and i don't have to feel that dissatisfaction of right now it's like we're tapping into oh wow i'm about to do this thing and i can feel good because i'm making change i'm looking at it as change is inevitable growth is inevitable you can't stop growth from happening it just does and so when i feel that like oh i'm dissatisfied oh, am I dissatisfied or am I just sensing that change is inevitable, change is about to happen and I know exactly what direction we're about to change in. And I've Mm. been loving that switch because it doesn't make me feel like I have to clear any of that like stress energy. I'll get kind of like hyped and ready. I'm like, oh, I got to go do something. I don't feel like I have to clear that sensation. I feel like I'm able to just switch my perspective and then use it as fuel because if I'm getting a little bit frustrated that frustration is energy that my body is giving me to take action like emotions are the body says oh you need to do something here's some energy go do the thing and when we're stressed and like when we're actually burning ourselves out a lot of the times it's not due to lack of motivation it's because you have too much motivation that you're overloading your system and mm. yeah, that's my fun little tangent on gate 58. I think it's a really fun gate to play with. I think it just came out of transit too. So yeah. Yeah, yeah thank happy, thank you happy late birthday.
1: But, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was just a few days ago. One of the things that came up for me there was just this curiosity around seeing the imperfections and wanting to solve them is sometimes a challenge with relationships and with my yeah. wife, me trying kind to of solve the problem because I can see the problem and she just wants me to listen. So that's one mm. of the great tools is, really asking her of, hey, do you want me to listen? Do you want me to give advice? Do you want me to coach? What role do you want me to play in? And so Mm -hmm. she has the ability to then say, I just want you to listen. I just want you to hold space. And that creates so much avoidance of conflict because Mm -hmm. a lot of times people just want to be heard. They don't want to be told, oh, this, that, and the other needs to be solved because that can create even more anxiety.
0: Yeah, but it definitely comes up in relationships, especially when it's like you see the correction that someone needs to take. But I remember again that like that's a projected channel and every projected channel needs an invitation and so a lot of people have projected channels and they're not projectors and so they don't think they need an invitation. But if you're offering someone a correction like you're literally saying hey I see what you're doing wrong and I see what you need to fix that's an invitation because you're asking if you can guide them you're asking like can I go into your energy offer my perspective tell you what I'm seeing in here and then possibly fix it for you it's a very intimate thing and of course it requires an invitation and so like I love that you're asking you said hey are you looking for advice or are you looking for just someone to hold space with right now and she's able to like respond to that and see which one works best for her that's a beautiful beautiful tool for communication because relationships can be very dis regulating. If, if the communication is not clear.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's kind of this curiosity around human design of really these different aspects of understanding of it and how, from my understanding as well, if something really landed where someone said, it's not about defining who you are, it's about giving you this kind of guidebook. So it's not to say this is how I am. This is the way I should be. It's like, mm-hmm. this is the way I can be. And then looking at it as different lenses so it's interesting to see that invitation piece show up
0: as well yeah, yeah i love thinking about the energetics of an invitation because if you ask somebody like hey are you open to some advice are you open to some feedback they're immediately going to get into that mindset of like, oh, yes. And they're open and they're ready to receive. And one of the examples I like to use is let's say you're putting together a piece of furniture. So you've got all of the pieces all over the place. You've got the instructions and it's just not fitting together like something's wrong. It's not working out. And since 75, 70-ish percent of the population is generators and manifesting generators, what we do is we get frustrated and we pour more energy into it. So we say, okay, I'm frustrated, but that frustration says, I have the energy to finish this. Even though it's taking longer than I thought it would, I have more energy where that came from. I can keep going. So a generator is going to come into the room if someone's building furniture and say hey. Do you need some help here's my sacral energy, let me like get in there and help you and a projector is going to go in and they're going to look for. The most efficient way to do things and so they're going to look at the situation and they're going to be like where's the instruction manual. And so they're going to go read the instructions and if somebody is holding the instruction manual and you've been fighting with something you're kind of frustrated and they say hey you're doing that wrong. You're not very open you're like I don't care give me my instruction manual leave me alone. <laughs> like, i'm figuring it out and we're not open to that guidance, but if the person sitting there reading the instruction manual and i'm getting frustrated enough, I might say hey can you read me step four. I'm not understanding this. I'm doing something wrong. Help me. And at that point, I'm open to you reading the instructions to me and giving me that guidance. And so, yeah, I think about it like that a lot of like, okay, what's the piece of furniture you're trying to put together? Do you actually need me to read the instructions to you? Or do you need me to help you get a little bit of frustration out of the way so that you can clearly read the instructions for yourself? Yeah. Yeah. It takes a
1: discernment to be able to approach a situation in that light, oh, yeah. but I can see the power of it. <laughs> also, it feeds quite nicely into some of this sympathetic fight or flight response. And so if you're already kind of highly charged and you've been working on a project like putting
0: mm-hmm.
1: furniture together and you're a bit stressed, then you're more likely to respond in a bit of a and potentially aggressive or a sharper or a shorter or, a tone that's not really amicable to the other mm-hmm. person so then you create this additional conflict and then you're going to ladder up and so it's kind of interesting how people can come in with perfectly good intentions of how they're trying to help and actually it completely sends something sideways that didn't need to go there and then you're down a rabbit hole you're like how did we get here yeah. shouting each other and we're trying to build a piece of furniture
0: yep <laughs> Yeah. The ladders are always fun. It always comes back to the same conversations and we're like, wait, how did we end here again?
1: <laughs> yeah. Don't trace it back. Which step was it that did yeah. that one? Or I did this. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Was it the screwdriver? Like, was that the... <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh amazing i'll get us a little bit back on track here and i'll ask you to just explain how you see neurodivergency and ADHD I know that that's kind of the main topic we're discussing today, and I would just love to pass you the MIC and give you the open invitation to share your perspectives and your opinions on what comes up when you think about ADHD neurodivergency. Mm -hmm.
1: So I have some mixed opinions about it, and I want to be conscious of how I'm sharing the sides that I'm sharing, because there's kind of two aspects of it that I think is really important is like the nature and the nurture. Mm-hmm. So just recently with my son, we noticed that he was very agitated, very active, moving around a lot. He's an MG himself and has a lot of energy, but this was more erratic energy. And so we started to address what food is he eating? Mm -hmm. And we did some research into gluten and the impact of gluten on ADHD and impact of gluten on children's ability to concentrate in class, which curiously then is also linked into the microbiome of the gut and intestine, which is then linked into the nervous system and then linked into stress and how you're responding to circumstances. And so in North America, where there's a lot of gluten, unfortunately, has been kind of influenced by GMO style modifications, then this wheat is no longer as natural as it might've been in the Mm -hmm. past. And so I think gluten intolerance is even more severe in North America than in Europe, at least for our digestive systems anyway. And so there is this curiosity for me around how much of ADHD is actually this nurture or the experience that you're having in life, of what's being created as a result of the food you're eating or the environment you're in, that's kind of catalyzing this internal way of being into something that is more challenging to manage and less acceptable in society. And so I think it's really curious to then look at not just the neurodivergency of the mind, but also to be looking in at what are we eating? How is that influencing the nervous system? And what can we do quite simply to cut things out of your diet to then start to having impacts where it's like, oh, I can actually manage my energy levels more effectively now. Oh, I actually have more ability to focus on a specific thing because I'm actually in more of what's called a ventral state where your parasympathetic is in a calm, connected and digestive state where you're able to manage the situation better rather than your body being charged into a sympathetic state where you're trying to then respond as best as you can but you're charged and you have energy that's mobilized and so it's you're a bit more agitated you're a bit more i'm going to say all over the place a bit more difficult to kind of control and stay in your seat and so that's mm-hmm. as you've got adhd or you've yeah. got a temp- deficit and you can't f- sit straight and now if you're in school or if you're in work environment, which is also not really conducive to how human beings are supposed to operate, Mm -hmm. you're supposed to sit still in a seat and look at a screen for hours on end and not move. It's like, well, how are you supposed to be a healthy, highly operating being when you're put into that circumstance and you're having that food? And then at lunchtime, you're rushing because you don't have time to go from one task to the next. So you're not digesting properly. And then all of these things kind of come together. So I'm really looking at it from this state of, nervous system and the gut, which then is the complementary aspect to what's happening in the brain. What are the belief systems, what are the neuroplasticity connections going on in your mind that's linking one thing to the next? And now you're creating a circumstance where you're more likely to respond in a certain way. Your nervous system reacts dependent on how you interpret a stressor one person might see a lion and they might think, wow, that's an amazing animal. I want to go and stroke it because they're a zookeeper or they're like the, I can't remember the guy's name now, but the guy. Steve who... Irwin. <laughs> Steve Irwin, yeah. So a guy like that. Or you're terrified and you want to flee and you want to run off. Same stressor, same stimulus, different interpretation. Mm-hmm. And so then if we're applying that to kids or to adults or to anyone in a certain situation for example you're put in front of a screen and in front of a desk and told to work somebody might respond saying oh wow great I get to learn I get to study how amazing is that and the other person might think holy shit I've got to sit still for an hour and now you've got very different responses to the very same circumstance and that just paints a very small picture into the power of your belief system in interpreting and influencing how your body then reacts. And that will then influence how your mind reacts. And you create this loop that constantly goes on. And so, yeah, I have a curiosity around, as I said, this impact of the environment. And then also, I believe that there's some genetic disposition to having some of these parts of you that are more likely to be activated in some people than in other people. And there is a part of me that believes that everybody is built perfectly everything is intended everything is exactly as it was meant to be and so how can you then put that energy towards a certain use how can you then direct your flow direct your amazing ability to do lots of things and be very on top of things Mm -hmm. instead of trying to focus it on one small situation and so then for me it's really a question around something that I'm very passionate about into the future is really trying to change the educational system and change the corporate system into more of a conscious human being orientated manner and not to kind of sidetrack down to there because you asked about the question, but I feel like it's important to mention that because it's uh, very easy, I think in, in today's world to have this belief system of life is happening to me rather than life is happening for me. Mm-hmm. And in that fundamental switch when I first heard that, it landed. And then just recently, I've really started to sit into that more deeply and really start to understand these challenges that come up are opportunities for you to really see these blind spots, see Mm -hmm. these spaces in your mind and in your body of where you can start to evolve and where you can start to grow and where you've got these shadow parts of yourself that need to be loved and just want to be loved and accepted. And really it all comes down to love and self-acceptance and being able to then fully express yourself authentically. And this is kind of the fundamental of the work that I do with people is really helping them to express their emotions, helping them to connect with their body, embody this intellectual understanding of the world and embodiment meaning, feel it, recognize it in yourself, having high interoception. i.e., You can feel different sensations of what they mean, what they represent, And then rather going down a previous pattern, i.e. you feel a sensation coming up and that's like, oh, that's a craving for chocolate. And it's like, no, that's not a craving for chocolate. Actually, you're tired and you want to go have a sleep. And it's like recognizing these things and then starting to retrain into this pattern that then creates these pathways in your head of like, oh, that pattern's come up. Oh, I know that way. That's the way I'm going to go. And that's what happens in the neurons as they start to get excited and activated, they create these different pathways Mm -hmm. into certain responses depending on certain stimulus. And that for me, again, is important to bring this back into the neurodivergence of how you've created these pathways that are leading down a way that is not the way you want to go. And it's not your fault. There's nothing wrong with you. Your Mm -hmm. body is working perfectly and that's hard to swallow, but it's doing exactly what it's supposed to and what it's meant to do. But It's just been trained in in the way that's not self-fulfilling and is not the way that you want it to. And so then it's actually an opportunity to have empowerment within to realize, oh, well, if it was trained in that way and I wasn't born like this, then that means that I can train it another way. And that means that I can take control of my life and I can start making these incremental steps. And that is also a hard piece to swallow of. Sometimes you want this quick pill and it's all going to be solved and it's all going to be done and that's not really how life works with breath work you can create these kind of windows into operating in a new way and you can create this bridge from your conscious mind to your subconscious mind and that can allow you to start processing things in new ways but if you don't allow that bridge to open and take the new path you will just go down the other path you'll be like wow what an amazing experience and then I'm going to go back to the way I was and so that's then again this I don't want to say a constant struggle, but it's a constant step in a direction. Every step you take is Mm -hmm. in a certain direction. So you need to choose in that moment, which direction it's going in. And so with ADHD or any other kind of mental challenge or chronic illness or anything to do with your body, it's really the signal of what's my body trying to tell me? Mm -hmm. What is my body really signaling to me in this moment? Is it signaling that I need to just take a moment for myself and I need a breath of fresh air. Is it signaling that somebody is dysregulating me and is making me feel triggered? So I need some space for them. Is it signaling, as I said, just I need some more sleep or I need to eat better or I need to exercise whatever it is just to really listen into these cues and to start to identify what they really mean rather than what they've previously meant for you as a child, which might be maladaptive and it might be Mm -hmm. created out of wounding or out of an emotional circumstance that was a bit of a long-winded answer to that question, but I was. That's to okay. Touch on this, so yeah,
0: I loved being able to like watch all of the threats come together, and I love that you brought up. I love that you brought up gut health and talking about what we eat and what we take in, because the sacral center it's located in that gut, and if we're taking in food that's not correct for us, again, seventy percent of the population has a defined sacral center. And so if we're taking in food that's unhealthy, we're blocking those signals. And what that gut says is like, oh yes, this is exciting. We're not really tapping into, is this going to feel good to have done? Or is it going to give me instant satisfaction? Mm -hmm. I've actually been gluten-free for about 16 years now. I was diagnosed with celiac at 11 and I've been gluten-free since then as a child. And so it's so funny for you to mention that because I'm very educated on the differences between gluten in the North American area versus in the rest of the world. And I've had so many people say that their gluten intolerance isn't an issue in Italy and in other countries. So they'll just eat gluten mm. products because it's more of how we process the wheat than like how, than the actual ingredient itself. And when I told my husband, I was like, maybe I'm going to try some gluten while I'm in Europe. He got so mad. He said, you know, no, you're not. <laughs> like, no, you're not. Do not do that to yourself. Don't be stupid. Like, Sure. That's for some people, but like you actually have an allergy. Please don't do that to me. I didn't. It was fine. Europe is actually really very, very gluten-free friendly. I was so surprised. It was incredible. I had some of the best gluten-free food I've had in the world there, but (laughs) I'm curious about that because I have closed taste cognition, which is this energy. It pretty much says like, I know what I'm going to like, and I know what I'm not going to like before I try it. I'm not somebody who's designed to try a bunch of new things. And that's related to the food that I take in, but also the inspiration that I take in the energy from other people, the books that I read, like everything that I consume is in this closed taste world. And so it's interesting that as an 11 year old, my body was saying like, I can't handle that. I'm not available for gluten. I'm not open to that. I'm going to live this closed gluten-free lifestyle. And like, that's very closed taste as well. And I just, I think that's an interesting thing to bring into the conversation as well as like, what are we consuming and what's the quality of what we're consuming as well? What we eat definitely matters.
1: <laughs> yeah. Just on the topic of food, it's kind of interesting what's coming up there for me is around children and kind of making them eat things. I think it's mm-hmm. curious. Reflect on something like that, where it's like in their human design to know what they like or don't like, rather than forcing them to eat something because it's healthy. And that in itself is really building this ability within a child to make decisions that they know are right for themselves, because they're so connected with their intuition mm-hmm. that they can't. Even, that they know things that we don't are not aware of, and at the same time, they need support in making some right decisions rather than just eating ice cream all the time which they could also do. But there's something with the nervous system with food that I've taken recently in the last year, which is basically to do a prayer with my food before eating it. And with the prayer comes also three deep belly breaths.
0: Mm.
1: And the deep belly breaths is really a way of grounding myself into the experience. And what I mean by grounding in this instance is it could be a spiritual understanding of grounding and of, of earthing, or it could mean a nervous system understanding, which is to connect with your ventral state, which is the state of rest and digest. And so when you're coming into your food and you're all rushing, you're trying to eat your your sandwich as fast as possible, your body then doesn't have a chance to dereg downregulate into this state of digestion. And so then you're actually not digesting your food fully and you're Mm -hmm. not actually in all the nutrients from it. And so by taking just three deep breaths before you have your meal, and also sharing gratitude towards the food and towards where it's come from and towards the elements and towards everybody involved in getting that meal onto your plate, you then bring your awareness into that space. You bring gratitude into your meal, and you also ground your body into that parasympathetic state so you're ready to digest your food, which for me has been a great way to really enjoy the meal better, to be more present with people around me. Mm-hmm. And also, I don't have any science to, to prove this, but there is science around it, I believe you're going to digest better and you're going to actually benefit more from the nutrients rather than, for example, being too activated and then you're not digesting it or being too sleepy. And then it's just passing through you too quickly. And so it's really coming into that just grounded ventral state where you're just digesting the food properly. And so I think that that's also important with kids and with schools and with the culture of corporate of rushing meals to really kind of ground people into that state. And that again is kind of re-educating your mind into let's take our time with things. Let's Mm -hmm. focus on what's happening right here. Let's not eat with a phone at the table. So we're kind of distracting ourselves. And I know how tempting that can be to just crack out the phone and just look at Instagram or to to check out whatever is on YouTube, but it's not serving you if you're doing that. It might be pleasing your mind in that moment because you're getting the dopamine hit. But your body afterwards is then like what did you do i haven't digested my food properly so i think it's curious to link all of that again in together with all of what we're talking about mm-hmm.
0: too i'm curious because i'm looking at your determination now your low sound determination if the room is really loud do you struggle to digest your food
1: hmm i definitely like eating in quiet spaces if that answered that question yeah I def- yeah. I'm just
0: thinking like with your nervous system thinking about like a mall cafeteria or something where there's like that <sighs> bustle of energy <laughs> just like the high sound versus like a quiet candlelit dinner which do you feel like your nervous system would be able to be in that ventral state more easily
1: Yeah it's definitely in the quieter candlelit space you know if I go mm-hmm. to a mall to a mall last week and just instantly walking into that space i just feel the sensation of just like wow that's a lot of people there's a lot of stuff going on there's a lot of energy people trying to shop in the sales and trying to move around you know i'm a 2-4 as well so i'm mm-hmm. a bit of a hermit and so then coming out of my cave into the outdoor world it's then triggering to be also an empath of reading into these signals and just being like wow this is a lot to take in right now and mm-hmm. so yeah, I definitely feel agitated in those meals. And that's a good indication that I would be in a sympathetic state, not in a yeah. relaxed. And then I also see it in my son. He can't sit still. He's just like bouncing off the walls, trying to go different places, doesn't eat. And so I think we're all like that. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think there's a time and a place for everything. But I definitely would prefer to go and eat my lunch on top of a mountain and drawing a beautiful view than I would sitting in a room that's busy and yeah. noisy.
0: Yeah, I think that's so fascinating because there's also people who have high sound determination and I've talked to a couple of people like that and it's almost unnerving when the room is too quiet. And they actually feel more agitated when it's super silent. And so having like background noise feels more calming for them. And so they're more able to digest in a space where it's a little bit louder. There might be some chaos going on in the background. And I think about just the labels because somebody who maybe finds that they digest better in public spaces, they might think, why can't I handle silence? What's wrong with me for not being able to be alone? Am I just so overstimulated that I need? constant stimulation in order to even like digest my food. I feel like there could be some shame and some judgment there as well, because according to human design, it's different for everybody. It's a Mm. little bit different for everybody. And so what's going to calm one person's nervous system isn't necessarily going to calm somebody else's. And I think that that is so fascinating. Bringing that into this perspective is that maybe it's not the calm environment for everybody, but it's finding the environment that makes you feel calm.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really important distinction to make. And I think it's applicable to not just nervous systems but everything, which is that everybody is different. Everybody is unique. And so trying to find that, again, secret blueprint that someone else has of how to live your own life can only be a manual that you discern and you decide for yourself rather than one you take on and say, yep, that's my Lego instruction manual of exactly how to build my life. And I'm going to go and do that. I think that's so applicable across all different spaces. And I've definitely had it in some client sessions where I'm wanting somebody to do more expression. And I realize then my desire for them to express more is actually a potential to be triggering them because they have a desire to be quieter, to be softer. Or the flip side, as you said, somebody who maybe has had a traumatic experience. And so being in a quiet, still space is actually traumatizing to them. Mm -hmm. I was actually watching an interesting video just earlier about... How meditation can be not a good solution to some people. I and mean, some people who've had trauma and being sitting in still with the eyes closed in a space of that's very quiet, that can actually be very activating for somebody and very traumatic mm-hmm. for someone to act into their emotions like that. Again, with all of these tools, it's very important to discern which tool is right for you. And again, with breath work, it's also important because there's a tool of Wim Hof, which is very well known in a lot of the kind of self-development space and people don't really realize when to use it because they don't understand the nervous system. And so just talk very briefly about that. If you're a very activated person, you're highly strong and you're very anxious, doing Wim Hof, which is also a very activating breath, can push you out of your window of tolerance. And window of tolerance is something that's also very important to talk to you because it's basically the space in which you're able to regulate yourself and you have resilience to come back to your homeostasis point. And if you push yourself out of your window, there's a chance that your body then says, Whoa, this is too much energy right now. I need to then apply the vagal break, which then will drop you down from sympathetic straight into a ventral shutdown, which is the backside. And so you're going to freeze. And that then means you can disassociate. It means you can come out of your body. It means you can lose connection with yourself. So in that instance, Applying something that's good for somebody else and not assessing it for your own needs and your own body and your own experience can lead you into circumstances which are very damaging for you. And that's, I think, a very important thing to be like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: let's assess human design, let's assess my nervous system, let's speak to a specialist who really knows what they're talking about rather than potentially going down a rabbit hole of looking at YouTube videos and being like, I've got this tool, I'm going to go and do it. And actually that causing you more challenges than you want to admit to. And then mm-hmm. there's the shame around everybody talking about how amazing it is and it didn't work for you. And now you don't want to share that it, it didn't work for you. And so you're in this state of like, I'm isolated.
0: And mm-hmm. I think again,
1: it's the best regulation tool that there is, is actually with a collective it's with other people it's being in connection with people and so if you're isolating yourself then that's a really good sign for you to look at and say hey what's really driving this desire for isolation is it something that is aligned with my human design maybe i'm a hermit and i need space or is it actually something that's coming out of a dysfunctional dysregulational space and i need to go and seek more support or i need to go and reach out to somebody and say hey I need a lifeline. I need someone to come and help me Mm -hmm. in this instance. And so, yeah, discernment in all aspects of life and then assessing what your body and your intuition is telling you is really important to make good decisions in today's world.
0: Yeah. Something that I had just like a belief that I had to ingrain in myself is that I am the smartest person in my world regarding my decisions, I'm the smartest person in my world. And it doesn't matter if it's a doctor, doesn't matter if it's somebody who has multiple degrees in the topic. If my intuition is saying no, then it's a no for me. And that's correct. It's difficult when we have access to absolutely every piece of information that we want at the tip of our fingertips, we can research something, we can Google it, we can find an answer, we can find a million answers to a single question in seconds. And it's so much information that we're receiving, it's difficult to discern what what's useful and what's not useful. Something I've seen with undefined head center, like 70% of the population's undefined there. It's searching for answers, but then searching for certainty. And so it's like, okay, I found this breathwork technique. How do I become certain that this is gonna be the one that will work for me? And that searching for certainty is also still in a fight or flight response. Like you're in a scarcity state. You're like, mm-hmm. I don't know if the answer's here, but I'm really, really hoping it is. And there's still an underlying just discomfort in your energy when you're searching for more answers and you're searching for more certainty. I always come back to, there's geniuses on this planet, the smartest people in the world are still arguing about what's ultimately true. In their respected fields, when you really get down to the edge of science, there's arguments around what's true, what's not true, this theory versus this theory, and those are the smartest people in the world. So they can do their job as the smartest people in the world and they can figure out the ultimate truth. They can work on that if they want to. I'm not gonna find the ultimate truth. I may be the smartest person in my world for me, but I don't have to be the smartest person in the world who has all of the answers for everybody. I have the answers for me, and you have the answers for you, and I trust your intuition just as much as I trust my intuition. And that's been just such a beautiful perspective to come into this with, because especially when it comes to neurodivergencies, I'm seeing a lot of stories around people who are like fighting for that diagnosis because they feel like they're not being heard by medical professionals and they finally do get heard by someone. They're like, yes, see, I knew that there was something different about me. And it's just confirmation of what they already know. And sometimes I'm curious if the labels are actually helpful or if maybe they're not actually as helpful because once they get that label, it becomes just an excuse for the behavior. Sometimes instead of this is the problem, and now this is step one, and we know what the solution is next. So yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really great, again, point to make. And what comes up for me there is about the reticular activating system in the mind, which then will continuously look for proof of whatever belief you already have in your mind. And so if someone gives you a label, your brain is going to be looking for proof of that label and you're constantly going to be reinforcing it, reinforcing it. And so I think it's really important, again, there to say, how can you approach this with a step to helping yourself rather than keeping yourself in this identity, in this pattern that may not be serving you and kind of creating a victim mentality in your own mental state, instead of saying, oh, that's a Part of me that's like that, and I'm more than that and I can move through these states mm-hmm. you know, within nervous system and the different attachment styles. Some people get labeled into an anxious attachment and actually they anxious attachment with just their parents rather than with all their friends and now if they label themselves like that, they might start operating in that way which isn't actually serving them. and so mm-hmm. it's really important to then again discern of where it's appropriate and where it's applicable and where it's relevant something that came up just a few days ago, and i be interested to get your take on it, is there's been previously a desire of mine to continually get more certifications and continually to learn more and to increase my knowledge and understanding. And there was a course that I saw that I then got excited about. And I then was like, oh, my emotional authority is there. I'm excited to buy this course. Then I had a, a conversation with my wife about it. And she was like, are you excited by the course or are you excited about as a part of you wanting to stay in your comfort zone of continually learning? And so there's that curious, again, distinction between where these centers are actually guiding you towards what's exciting because it's keeping you safe versus what's exciting for your soul's growth and what your alignment is so i'd love if you, if you yeah
0: had i do first i would say that as an emotional authority that initial boost of excitement is good but that's actually sacral energy and the sacral i think of it as a goldfish it has no short-term memory sacral looks at something like oh my gosh that's exciting yes of course is exciting let's do it like yes right now that's exciting and that's what it's saying is like right here right now This is a yes. But because you have that emotional authority, that excitement, sometimes I'll see that excitement, I'll feel it and be like, okay, I'm really excited about this, but I don't know if this is excitement or if this is just an emotional high. Because we actually want to be making the decisions from emotional stability and emotional stillness when it's quiet, when we're not feeling, yay, I feel amazing, I'm on top of the world, or like that super low energy. We want it when we're neutral. We're like, okay. Meh, I feel meh. I've like ridden all of my wave. So For you, the first thing the sacral said is I'm open to thinking about this program. This program lights me up. I'm going to head in this direction. Something is here for me. It doesn't matter if it's the course or if it's the conversation that you have with your wife. And this is a situation that leads you to possibly breaking a pattern. It doesn't matter which one, but the sacral did its thing by getting you excited about that course. That's what Mm -hmm. you needed to be. That happened and it did. And as a 2-4, you're going to be constantly learning you're going to be a student of life. The second line is so natural. It learns things really easily. It has this genius, but with that fourth line, you're able to literally just watch somebody else do it well and do it exactly the same. You're like a really good copycat. And so there's I know a ton of two fours. Catherine Zanchina is a 2-4, and she talks constantly about she is a student of life. She has more certifications than anyone I know because that's part of her process. She's here to find experts and really see what they're learning and connect with those people and then go off in her hermit world and test it out for herself, see if she can apply what she learned. So I don't think that it's a problem at all that you enjoy learning things. You can play with that identity as I'm a student of life and I'm always learning the lessons that Life is handing me, I would give yourself time to ride that wave for at least a day like you can be super excited about the course. Something else I play with is, especially as an emotional authority, as I look at what do I think I'm getting out of this? I did a course recently, probably earlier this year with somebody, and it was pretty much about reels and how she does a lot of her creative direction and video editing. And I looked at it and before I decided to go into the course, I was like, okay, what am I actually looking to get out of this? I'm like, I wanna get better at editing videos. I like her Mm -hmm. videos, she has good reels. I think that she'll make it really simple and really easy to follow along with. It was, it was exactly what I needed. But I thought about, okay, so my goal is I wanna be creating higher quality content. That's the vision. I know that I'm going there with or without this course and so this is a fun game it's like I put what I actually want like that's inevitable I'm getting where I actually want and this course is an option but it's not the only option I can go left or I can go right either way I'm still getting there so if you can feel like I am going to get to where I want to go with or without this program then you get to feel into do I want it Do I Mm -hmm. desire to go through this program if I know that I'm going to get there no matter what? So we take off that I need this program energy of like, oh, once I have this skill, then I'll finally be good enough to do the thing. And it's more of like, I know where I'm going. Do I want to do it this way or do I want to do it that way? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How does that land?
1: Yeah, that's great. That's useful. I think it's powerful for assessing these decisions. And yeah, I do often sleep on them and that helps. And I think this is a a really interesting, different approach to having the inevitability of the result and really assessing what the result is and getting clear on that rather than again, kind of getting starry eyed at what some of the things are selling you are going to get. And actually it's a distraction from certain things, Mm -hmm. but that's the other great point there is around sacred authority, guiding you on these steps. And the thing that you're excited about isn't necessarily the thing that you're going to do, but that's the step you needed to take to get to the next part. And that was something found out a few months ago from from, so I was like that was the thing I was so excited but it didn't work out and I was like oh right because it's not actually about that it's about making the steps on the path so yeah clarifying that as well
0: it's like the readers are excited because this is for the plot
1: (laughs) right the sacral
0: excitement's like oh yeah the plot's good like this is going to be a good story because we're making (laughs) this decision
1: (laughs) yeah and that's what it feels like it's like wow that was a wild ride and I just went down there but it was cool it was great yeah Uh, Yeah, life is about that full experiencing of it, rather than having these like tentative small steps. That's always safe. It's like sometimes you need to go off on this wild adventure to come back and then Mm -hmm. realize I'm on the same path, but I needed that journey to get here to be who I am.
0: Sometimes we need that for sure. I've definitely been there. Uh, Okay, I do have more questions. So I will circle us back here. And you'd mentioned that you would love to go through some nervous system regulation tips for daily in the moment activities. So what are some of your favorite nervous system regulation tools, tips, tricks that you find yourself reaching for on a regular basis?
1: Yeah, thank you. As far as my understanding goes, nervous system is influenced by three things, breath, sound and movement. And tears is also a curious one because it definitely helps to process, but it's not as something that is easily accessible as breath, sound, and movement. So with those three things, it's very easy to assess in different circumstances. And so like I talked about before, with before you eat any meal, to take three deep belly breaths to kind of ground you into that space. That's a great tool to use every single day, the rest of your life. And then kind of just splitting out the categories. So it's kind of, again, as I said, it's important to discern when to use them and which circumstance you're in. If you're already activated, you don't really wanna use more activated state to then push you further out from your homeostasis point. So I'm gonna address them in two ways. One is down-regulating and one is up-regulating. So if you wanna down-regulate yourself, then you are maybe agitated you're anxious you're stressed you're just about to go on an interview with eden and you want to just calm yourself down into this space movement one of the things i quite like to do is shaking so you'll see a lot of animals in nature when they get into a traumatic circumstance then it's finished and the first thing they do is they do a little shake their whole body shakes and they shiver and that's the way that their nervous system is letting go of this energy that's just been mobilized to take action and if you don't run and you don't fight, then you need to mobilize this energy in some way. And so normally we're sitting there at a computer, someone sends us this email complaining about what we've done, you know, you're like, oh, damn. And you kind of, you're in a bit of a shock state. Your body then mobilizes energy and you're wanting to take action. And yet you're still sitting, you're not moving and likelihood you're probably gonna breathe sharp, shallow breaths into your chest. And you're gonna just continue this activation up away from this point of regulation. And so in that moment, there's a really powerful tool that Huberman has done a lot of podcasts and a lot of research on, which is called the psychological sigh. And again, this is something that I saw in nature, but I'll just explain it first. And so basically what it is, is a two-part inhale and then a long exhale. I like to do inhale through the nose and exhale through the mouth. And I also add on a bit of sound on the exhale because sound is also a great way to stimulate your vocal cords and then relax them. And that helps you to breathe more fluidly as well. That's a great way to really bring you from activated into a more relaxed state. So that's just one tool there, along with the shaking, which is helpful. So sometimes you can do a bit of shaking to get that big energy out, and then you can do the psychological side and then bring you back into this relaxed state. And then you can get back on with whatever you, you were doing. And then on the other side of things is If you're the sort of person who may be depressed or you may be very lethargic or you may be prone to going into freeze responses where things become too stimulating and you kind of shut down and you dissociate, then bringing through some more life force energy can be helpful for these type of people. Just to start with some gentle kind of thawing out of your body with some just light movements, just moving your wrists in a circular fashion can just start this rhythmic circular momentum it's kind of like kicking a car back into movement again and your hands can just start that and then you can kind of build it into like your arms and your whole body and then you can build it into bigger movements and that movements kind of kicks you out of that free state back into this homeostasis point point. and then on the flip side if you wanted to use breath then something like a Wim Hof breath for these kind of people either a Wim Hof style breath which is basically very activating, or a Kapalabhati, a fire breath, which is building a lot of energy and a lot of fire in your lungs. Or there's one that I came across recently called espresso breath, which is basically about 30 exhales. And you just push the air out and you allow your lungs naturally to pull the air in. You're pushing and then your lungs are filling back up again. And that kind of brings up the activation of your nervous system and so that's a great breath if you're feeling a bit tired you're feeling a bit lethargic and you want to kind of bring more energy into your nervous system and so those a couple of tools with breath yeah which i found very powerful
0: yeah that's so powerful as soon as you said the sighing (laughs) i was laughing internally because i'll do that often and it's something i've done for years like i have always been a sire and my husband will usually say because it's audible so i'll just have like a like a Big, deep sigh. And he's like, what's wrong? <laughs> it's like, what's wrong? Are you okay? And for me, it's usually I'll notice that I'll be holding my breath a little bit. If my mm. mind is racing, I'm getting a lot of thoughts. I'm getting excited about something. I'm thinking about my to-do list. We're like, okay, and my shoulders don't need to be up to my ears. Like, relax, just breathe, okay. let it go. And that's something that I do constantly. But he's noticed it to where he'll say, like, are you okay? Are everything okay? You sighed. Mm. And it's not me, like trying to start a conversation, it's me releasing energy. So that's been a fun conversation that we've had as well. It's like, no, I'm just regulating. Like when I get a little bit stressed, my mind is racing. I just like let it go. With that sigh, I have inner vision. You have inner vision as well. So I don't know if visualization is a great tool for you, but just visualizing all of the thoughts when I breathe out, when I sigh, just like dropping it. And I almost see it like shattering. And so it's like, okay, all of the thoughts through my head, they're shattered, they're gone. I don't need to worry about them. They'll go back into the ether. And if I need to worry about it, it will come back to me. But mm-hmm. yeah, that visualization has also been a really great little trick, which has been so fun. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's powerful. Yeah, I mean, there's really a plethora of tools that you can use with regulation of visualization, of sound, of movement, of being in nature, of being with friends to co-regulate, sleeping better. Mm -hmm. There's so many different tools out there. It's really just for people to try what works for them. And also, as you've shared, of noticing what your body already does, because you have that innate wisdom to know exactly what you need to do. And the other thing I was going to mention was that my son actually did this psychological sigh. Like after he cries, he does this little, (sighs) I was like, wow, you're doing this side. I just learned about that on the human <laughs> podcast. Like, how do you know that? And so then our bodies just have this innate wisdom that we just need to tap into or better yet, just remember from these things that we've forgotten about the why. And you're like, oh, I already do that. And I just need to bring that back because your body knows exactly, as you said, it's the wisest tool out there.
0: It does. Okay, my last question is a little bit big, but it's a really fun one. I would love to hear, what are your hopes and dreams for society as we move forward and integrate more neurodivergent friendly practices?
1: Good sigh there. <laughs> yeah, what a great question. I touched upon it before, and really this concept of conscious capitalism, conscious education, conscious healthcare, conscious humans is In my opinion, the way forwards and what conscious means is is we've kind of touched upon these different points. It's it's being able to discern, having your own sovereignty about who you are and what's right for you, and it's in compassion and empathy for others, and it's a respect for nature and humanity as a whole. And I feel like bringing together all of these conscious aspects into the way we make decisions and move forwards especially at the heart of healthcare education and businesses would just change a lot of society in a very dramatic way. And I don't know how long it's going to take to get there. But that's something that I am striving towards this shift happening so that maybe in my children's upbringing, then it's a little bit of a different lifestyle. Yeah, I think we're now becoming more aware than we ever have been. And there is a potential that we're going to move down into an AI reliance of awareness, of just passing off any kind of need to retain any knowledge because the internet and AI has all the knowledge I ever need compared to I'm going to bring more sovereignty into everything I do and I'm going to take control of my life in a healthy way and go down this path, which is the conscious human path. And so for me, that comes with this, acceptance of people in all their different shapes, forms, colors, genders, and identities, and allowing them to be who they believe themselves to be, and supporting them into their fullest authentic expression of self. There was an amazing quote, I can't remember who it was by, but basically it was, your soul's deepest desire is for you to allow it to grow.
0: Oh, that's powerful.
1: Yeah. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's nailed it. Yeah. So I feel like that's the essence of it, of being all there for the ride and getting out of the way and stop restricting ourselves into this way that we think we should be or we think we have to be and allowing ourselves to be this fullest expression of ourselves. And this is something that I work with people on very closely is full, authentic expression. So, yeah, that's where I would love for humanity to evolve to.
0: Yes, I think we're on a very similar path. I know the work that I do with human design is rooted in that science of differentiation and that individuality. And something that I say is I believe that the bravest thing that we can do in this world is to be our authentic selves, because Mm -hmm. we live in a society that says this is how we're supposed to be. This is how you have to work. This is how you have to show up. And this is the correct way of doing things. And we're noticing that the correct way isn't just not working for everybody. It's harmful for some people. And so if we're able to take a step back and instead of trying to systemize every thing just be present with the people who are in front of us and see with our intuition what does this present situation actually need that will bring us to a place where we can just widely accept and love every aspect of ourselves i think that's where we're headed i hope that's where we're headed
1: yeah beautiful yeah i feel like your messy course and just bringing this joyful fantasy gamification to self-development is a great step along that journey so thank you for for thank you of
0: course Of course. Messy's been fun to create. That was a whole journey. But I will just say thank you so much for being here today and for sharing your wisdom with my audience. We're so excited for this series to go out. And yeah, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Where can people connect with you if they want to learn more?
1: Yeah, thank you for your time. And thank you for that beautiful exchange. It was really enjoyable to be in this seat with you and to learn and to share. So thank you for that. Um, If people want to find out more about me, then finding me on Instagram or going to my website, simply richadriansmith.com or richadriansmith on Instagram. Yeah, you can find out more about there, about what I do and some programs coming up and just learning about who I am. So yeah, thanks for that.
0: Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening to this episode of The Energetics of Everything.